Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Wild Hugs. The Contrarian summer road trip has reached its destination. <laughs> it's it's been quite the journey, and this is quite the finale. Highest highs, highest highs, I should say, lowest lows, and now wild hogs. <laughs> Wildest hogs. <laughs> As yes, welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by Julio. Julio, it's been a long, tum- tumultuous journey, but we have arrived here at the 2007. Uh, we kind of went back and forth in this, so it's a road trip movie, but we, we would also call it a buddy comedy. Yes, or was it? Is this like an ensemble cast? It's it's so many things, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely an it's, ensemble. It's, it's certainly a thing. It's a it's a four-headed beast that just it can't decide what it is because it doesn't need to no it's like with this cast you can do whatever you want for 90 minutes and it will work it files itself as an action slash outlaw biker film that's the genre it's in that's an awesome genre we still had a (laughs) blockbuster video this would be one of the like five movies in that section Uh, netflix recommends (laughs) outlaw biker because you like outlaw biker films (laughs) Why not Wild Hogs? Because you like DC writer, Wild Hogs. So, with Walter Becker, or Walter, I'm talking like I know him, Walt Becker at the helm, uh, director of Van Wilder, previous to this, would go on to do Old Dogs, Zookeeper, and Alvin and the Chipmunks, and apparently he's doing Clifford the Big Red Dog, because why not? Is John Travolta voice in that one? (laughs) Oh my god, I'm big and red. Uh, Travolta's back, baby, and he's back literally in black in this film. Uh, it's been a, a year apart from him. We we went on quite the journey last year, so we're going back to 2007, back to a simpler time of flip phones and uh, white biker gangs. I mean, <laughs> Martin Lawrence is in it. Well, <laughs> he might as well be white. Yes, for the intents and purposes of this film, Wild Hogs. Clocking in at a 17% on Rotten Tomatoes. And if this is your first time listening to our podcast, what we do here is we like to say we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Find a movie that is shiny, red, and fresh. Make a case for it. On the other end of the spectrum, find a movie that's uh, rotten and talk about what what's good from it, what you can salvage. And I misspoke. It was 14%. I was about to say, 17. are you are you looking at 2007 uh, Run Tomatoes? Because <laughs> by 2019, it's dropped a few, a few percentage points. So, Wild Hogs, The Four-Headed Beast, John Travolta, Tim Allen, Martin Lawrence, and old Slick Willie, William, William H. Macy at the helm. Out of those four, 
Travolta, obviously, obviously, if you listen to our show for at least a year, that means that you were with us for the summer of Travolta. So Travolta, old, old acquaintance of the show, more than acquaintance, mm -hmm. a true and tried friend. If we ha if we ever get deep enough in this to where we make a Hall of Fame, he's first ballot all the way. He's already there. <laughs> he's he comes with the building. He has his own wing. Yeah, uh, Tim Allen. If I'm not mistaken, his only other appearance in The Contrarians was the movie that we used to compare all bad movies to. Infamy. He lives in infamy here on The Contrarians. This is his opportunity for redemption. Martin Lawrence making his debut. And William H. Macy. Have we... I don't think so. I think this is so... So two debuts. Marissa Tomei. Has she been on before? In our hearts. Oh, every always. episode. She's in every part of my body. Always. Uh, Ray Liotta, who I feel we've we've had to have discussed him in something. Man, this is a problem. You get to almost a hundred episodes. Just it, it's. I mean, it compliments that our uh, selection of in our filmography that we've covered so far that we have all these heavy hitters, and we're not sure if we've ever had them on before. Fourteen percent means that this thing did not set the world on fucking fire when it came out. What were the critics saying about it, Julio? Uh, yes, pretty rotten. So plenty of uh, green splotches and the Rotten Tomato quotes to to pick from. So I got Peter Bradshaw from The Guardian saying, "Mind sodomizingly mediocre family comedy." Mind sodomizingly. All right. Uh, Tom Meek from Boston Phoenix says, instead of opening up the throttle, Hogs ends up idling and spreading exhaust. <laughs> sort of a suicide joke there. Uh, Jeff Bayer from the Scorecard Review says, I can only assume a bike wreck is much more gruesome than a car accident. Luckily, I have never seen one, but after watching Wild Hogs, I can imagine. Jesus. Rather morbid. <laughs> and finally, Garth Franklin from Dark Horizon simply says, no. <laughs> uh, Come on, Garth. That doesn't invite to discussion. I want to see what, what you got. Bring something to the table. As we do from time to time when these movies are... Uh, overwhelming. Overwhelming. And, you know, we're so engaged that we forget to take proper notes. Sometimes we'll launch into this with the first paragraph of the plot summation on Wikipedia. And for Wild Hogs, we have Doug Madsen, Tim Allen... Woody Stevens, John Travolta, Bobby Davis, Martin Lawrence, and Dudley Frank, William H. Macy. Do you think that they named uh, Travolta Woody just so they would have that moment where Tim Allen goes, oh, Woody. Woody. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, so it's sometimes the easiest answer is the or the the most logical choice is the right one. Occam's razor. Yes. There's no other explanation. So it has to be that. Uh, four middle-aged everyman living in a Cincinnati suburb who find themselves disillusioned with the quality of everyday life and lack of adventure. Doug is a dentist who has trouble bonding with his son, Billy. Dudley is a single computer programmer who is afraid to talk to women. Bobby is a henpecked plumber whose wife has made him return to work after having taken a year off to unsuccessfully write a book. And Woody is a wealthy lawyer married to a supermodel. Well, except he isn't. Well, that's the movie kicks us off with he's being divorced and he's fucking broke because of it. Right. It was like that, that summation described how everybody starts the movie except for Travolta. <laughs> They're talking about Travolta in the prequel. <laughs> I think whoever wrote the script, which was Brad Copeland, I think he 
updates this regularly for <laughs> how he saw it fit. Uh, they find escape from their daily routines on weekends by riding motorcycles together, posing as a biker gang called Wild Hogs. So uh, we get the impression that they were friends from a, a youth, a youthful age, a young age. They just can't find happiness in their everyday lives. And, you know, you think you're in for a family comedy and within the first five minutes, William H. Macy's looking at porn in a Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, but I love it because we get, as you would expect, the vignettes introducing these characters and, you know, you see them and you get them. It's just what you said, right? Tim Allen is the, the milk toast family man. Nobody respects him. Martin Lawrence. He's the, the guy that has the wife writing him all the time. Again, nobody respects him. William H. Macy, the nerd, he's, everybody gives him looks uh, when he's at the internet cafe or whatever. Even before the porn, he, he was not commanding respect. Uh, and then Travolta, who gets yelled at by the kid that's mowing his lawn. Yeah, Travolta just seems like a giant man-child. He seems like an idiot in this movie. Uh, yeah. Who somehow has kept his head above water as an adult. <laughs> somehow. Well, and the money. Yeah. It was the money. But then... in. I don't know if you had – because we hadn't seen this before. So I don't know if you had this experience because the movie doesn't open with that. Actually, the movie opens with them, the four of them, riding their motorcycles all clad in leather. And, you know, William H. Macy kind of has a little accident. But overall, they look far more badass than they do in the following sequence, which which are their proper introductions. It's like the opening credits is them riding. And so I thought that the movie was giving us a flash forward and then – we were going to witness their transformation into these badasses that ride motorcycles or whatever. But then it turns out that no, that they, they, they live double lives. They are losers by day. And then by early evening, <laughs> they become, uh, motorcycle riders, bikers. They have a, they don't refer to it as a gang, but their group, the, the wild hogs, they have their own uniforms, their own logo and all that. And they basically just saddle up and ride and go to a local bar. There is something that happens when a man dresses in black leather and hops on a giant motorcycle and just rides that just brings you back to, to the primal instinct of just masculinity. <laughs> and I, it's kind of our last rotten movie. It's fitting that it was it was a movie that was all about getting in touch with your feminine side. It was Crossroads with Britney and there was a guy... The one main character, male character in the movie was, he needed to get in touch with his NSYNC side and his his Shania Twain side. Uh, And here, this is the tale of four middle-aged men that need to reclaim their masculinity. They went too far on the other end and they just, they're being emasculated by life. That is something that the the older you get, the more you can relate to. Yeah, and you just kind of want to go to the bar with the boys and grab a beer. And that they do. uh, And a time capsule like cameo here where we have the leads from American Chopper which was a prospering American reality TV show at this time that kind of something you can point to and tell your kids you know that's when it used to be better yeah you know why they canceled that show because their wives wouldn't let them do it anymore they were accused of toxic masculinity uh at this bar scene I did take note that uh again Tim Allen's character Doug I believe is a dentist and his friends make fun of him relentlessly for it Hangover just blatantly fucking stole this trope. Two years later, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was safe. And Didn't even was... say thank you. <laughs> Acknowledgements at the very end of the end credits. Thanks to Tim Allen and Brad Copeland. 
So Travolta is just freaking out. Uh, you know, his life's in shambles and the rest of them, you know, they're missing something. And it's Travolta that proposes they go on a, a cross country road trip to the East uh, West Coast. Excuse me. Correct. Right. Yeah. Uh, he is. Uh, I mean, his life is probably the worst out of all of them, but nobody knows. They mm-hmm. think that he still has money and he's still on top of the game. Because he's still John Travolta. I mean, it's hard to imagine Travolta as a loser. His hairline has somehow come forward more since the last time we saw him. That's how much of a man he's grown into. It is hardening to see that the the Botox experiment that uh, he had on Be Cool has finally faded away. And now he looks like a human being. <laughs> so they all agree to it. They're going to go on this biking trip. William H. Macy obviously just says to get off work. Uh, Tim Allen explains to his wife, you know, I miss the days of being young and virile and a man, so I'm going to do this. And then Martin Lawrence, again, just played to be the coward of the film, has to lie to his wife and says he's going to a plumbing convention in Cleveland. Again, well, this is why, at least in the next scene, before they hit the road, they all have to get rid of their phones and GPS. So, well, one, Martin Lawrence has to, so he's not traceable. And then the other gentlemen just kind of want to think about living openly. And you want to reconnect with what it was like before we all became pussies. The open road is what they're looking to connect with. Yeah, no Google Maps, no ways. They make their first stop. You know, we get just the crossfades and different shots of the countryside of them driving. We get a camping stop where naturally hijinks ensue. Uh, they accidentally burn down the tent they have, so they just have to sleep on an air mattress in the dirt. Well, M.H. Macy, uh, the go-to for comedic beats here. I mean, they're all funny, but H. Macy is officially... He the- takes a dump in a like a Target bag. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and refuses to say- bury it. Yeah, why does he say he just doesn't poop in the woods? Uh, it attracts bears or something like that? Right. Yeah. But he won't bury the bag because... It's, it's not biodegradable. It's not biodegradable. Uh, they may be men, but they're not, you know... Monsters. Yeah. <laughs> they have there some is, consideration. I mean, there is a fine line between being just an irresponsible beast and being just a man that can't handle himself without the aid of technology or women. Mm-hmm. So, Wild Hogs finds that line and it just rides all along it for Burns nine minutes. rubber, baby. The next morning, they are awoken by, I guess, a highway patrolman or local police officer. Uh, Dr. Cox, what is the actor's name? John McKingley. John McKingley. It's a superstar cameo. He has a skin-tight uniform on, and back in 2007, you know, there were no sacred cows. And... That we're getting this double entendre laced scene and a, a series of misunderstandings verbally of Travolta and the gang talking about, I think, their asses being sore. And that's what you get for riding something that big. You know, to the uninitiated, you would think these men were making references to having sex with one another. Right. Uh, but it's also underneath all the joking. I mean, I think that it's very, very clear that William H. Macy has a crush on Travolta. It never comes to a head because eventually in this movie he finds a creature that's even more beautiful than John Travolta. As but unrealistic as it may sound. It, it is possible. We mm. watch the movie. It <laughs> happens. Uh, but but it's I, I like it as a through line. Not all all men relationships have to be heterosexual. There can be a little bit of, of, of gay love in there. It's like uh, I've quoted him before on the show. Say Jay Baruchel. In Tropic Thunder. Somebody that says everybody's a little gay sometimes. And it's uh, Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Oh, man, everyone's a little gay. But Dr. Cox is, I think it's quite obvious he's a gay man in this. As, he is He is way more in touch with it than William H. Macy. Uh, he 
is essentially saying he would like to get into bed with them and, you know, kind of see where the situation goes. It scares them, but that's understandable, much like the entire of the movie is these men trying to come to terms with what society expects of them as men. And, of course, as manly men, they're not supposed to even show a, a hint of attraction towards anybody of the same sex. Mm-hmm. So when John McKinley just comes at them so open about... And in significantly better shape than any of them. Well, yeah. It's Dr. Cox. He can he can take care of himself. He sticks around a little bit longer. As we go down the road just a little bit further, the gentlemen find a, a good watering hole, a good swimming hole, which uh, it's been a while since I've been to one. But, man, when you find a good swimming hole, it's a really exhilarating experience. William H. Macy kind of cracks the whip in terms of, I thought this was supposed to be fun, as he jumps in uh, naked as the day he was born. We get Macy butt. Yeah, we I'm pretty sure it's a butt double, but, you know, we can dream. No way. It's not a butt double. I think you see him. It's it's all like one shot. There's no cuts. This is not Mila Kunis and Friends with Benefits? No. Or, Macy, um, Macy is a devoted actor, and he will do nothing but an honest performance. It's going to bother me now. What's the Mila Kunis, Justin Timberlake? Friends with Benefits is Kutcher. And- Just Friends? No. Yeah. No. No. They're called, like, It's Complicated? Like Someone in Love? No. <laughs> I remember the poster vividly. It's like Justin Timberlake's on one side of it looking at her with his head tilted and she's on the other side like on her phone or some bullshit. He's like, I can't get laid. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Mila Kunis and Justin Timberlake. They need really to talk time. to William H. Macy in this yes. movie. All you need to do is have your face look like an old catcher's mitt and <laughs> not get a modern haircut for presumably 30 years. And then look at porn on your computer in the middle of a Starbucks and you'll just deter people away. But yeah, he embraces the freedom. I'm pretty sure that's his butt. He does. And I've been there. You ever just got naked and jumped in a swimming hole? Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he embraces the adventure and says, you know, it's just like old times. And so the the rest of the guys follow suit, take their skivvies off. Uh, naturally, wouldn't you know it, a family pulls up to the same watering hole to jump in. Uh, classic misunderstanding. Eventually, the dad of the, the family figures out what's going on because he's looking for a crawfish and... He basically swims all the way to Travolta's penis. Yes. He, like a heat-seeking missile <laughs> latches onto it and figures out what's going on. And the family quickly scurries, but nah, uh, Dr. Cox is back on the case, and he joins suit. Were you disappointed that this was the last we saw of him? Because I thought they were they were revving up. The way they were a... setting it up, I thought he was going to come back in. I thought he was actually going to like save the day in the end somehow. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Uh, I just thought, he, yeah, I thought he was going to be a running joke. And then halfway through the movie, I forgot, because there's so much more going because on. Because that... with how primal these characters are, you know, Ray Liotta and his group would have been terrified of the Dr. Cox <laughs> character. So they take off. Dr. Cox is naked, wanting to play Marco Polo with them. He does have the great line. What do you say, boys? Game of chicken? <laughs> they all just look at him, mortified, to say the least. Continue on. We pull over at another attraction. It's a, a bar. Uh, I didn't even get the name of it, but it's overrun by a biker gang by the name of the Del Fuegos, headed by uh, a tattooed and just mean Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta, top of his game. He is basically doing the Gary Sinise from uh, Reindeer Games here. Oh. He's, he is dangerously coming close to playing it a little too seriously, like taking this whole thing. It's mm-hmm. almost like he forgot that it's a comedy, but then every, every now and then he'll he'll get a funny moment and, and then it's all good. 
he resents the wild hogs for coming through. He thinks they're just weekend warriors that they're, you know, guys with, you know, it's a bad thing that they have real jobs and families and nice homes and that they're not real bikers. He gets an awesome speech. That's, I guess, the closest anybody comes to having an Oscar, an Oscar moment, an Oscar clip here. Leota just dressing them down for, for being posers. Yeah. And he's not wrong at this point. What he is also not is, uh, empathetic mm. i think that what he's missing is okay you tell them what the problem is and then you help them yes. solve this problem Instead, you show them how to be real bikers like <laughs> right. i, I want to see ray liotta giving william h macy a, like a full-length back tattoo of a dragon <laughs> or something but he goes out of his way to fuck with dudley william h macy and basically steals his bike from him and makes him take an old shitty one so they wander off they're told to get going they can't pass uh, this is the only road through town to get them where they need to go they're crossing into new mexico or they just got into new mexico here and so they're stranded and john travolta says you know i'm gonna go woody i'm gonna go take care of it uh goes down there and this is where travolta like executes a pretty evil heel turn because even though they've fucked with him so far you know nobody got hurt turn the other cheek type of thing he goes down there and cuts the fuel line and all the bikes so there's just fuel spewing out everywhere but this is like like straw dogs alex like you can only be pushed so far before you start slowly losing your humanity before and, you bite back yeah um, it's extreme but travolta i don't want to say that they didn't leave him any choice other than this but definitely i understand where he was coming from especially because this is a man that's already being tortured by what he's his just life so has dead set on making this road trip happen the lengths he will go to to see it through or uh concerning yep. staggering so he cuts the fuel line he takes off he tells the boys on the other side of the hill hey i just told him that if they fuck with us we'll just sue him because you know we know some lawyers and whatnot and they buy it so they go blazing past riding past tim allen has a fantastic uh comedic shot of him just genuinely waving and like saying thank you to them as they drive past ray liotta sees them says they got balls but we're gonna go get them you know gives a battle cry of some sort they all try to take off on their bikes, but that's to no avail as uh, the fuel lines cut. And then Ray Liotta drops his cigarette on the ground, so the whole fucking bar blows up. Fuel tanks and all. And Travolta it's, sees it in his rear view, and he's just like, oh, God. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. It's I, I, it's a hell of an explosion. And, uh, I mean, this is like Michael Bay level of mayhem on screen for just like, almost like a throwaway gag. It was impressive. I mean, it had a $60 million budget, so well, we, we know where a four, third of that went. Four superstars we have and the, an explosion. The Mount Rushmore of buddy comedies here. <laughs> Travolta at this point is shitting bricks. He is terrified. He wants to get as far away from there as possible. They want to stop and get gas and, you know, a soda and whatnot. And he's just like, no, we got to keep going. So they push on and naturally they run out of gas. So we get a shot of them pushing their bikes up a hill. A vulture begins to follow William H. Macy up the hillside, much like a Boo and Sully-type situation, a la Monsters, Inc. Unfortunately, it never pays off, but it does add levity to the moment, as you know they're potentially on the brink of death here. Uh, they see a sign for a town called Madrid, uh, so they head to there, Madrid, New Mexico. They ride into town. They find a diner. They they run in and just start pounding beer and water. I mean, going back to them losing their humanity, they've been... Terrorized by other men, then terrorized by nature. It's it's a little bit. It's like Easy Rider meets Apocalypse Now. They're down into the heart of darkness. It is very fitting 
that what rescues them from madness is the sight of Marisa Tomei. Indeed, Maggie. It's Maggie's diner they go into, after all. The local law enforcement believes them to be Del Fuegos, and when they say they're not, the townspeople almost just universally celebrate them. Oh, here are these bikers. You know, we've seen people like this on TV, but they're not assholes. <laughs> the gas station in town is closed, though, and won't be open until the next morning. So Travolta, like a junkie jonesing for a fix, is just constantly jittery and jumpy and wanting to get the fuck out of town. He's think- chasing the dragon at this point, and the dragon is getting the fuck away from the Del Fuegos as quick as possible. I think, because I said that that's uh, Leora's clip was the only Oscars clip. But this this moment where uh, the four of them are sitting in a booth and Travolta is just kind of trying to act normal, but at the same time trying to convince him that they need to leave, that would be his Golden Globe comedy submission for your consideration. This is me going through a hundred emotions in 30 seconds. Fair enough. As Julio had mentioned, Marissa Tomei, Maggie, she runs the diner uh, as gorgeous as the day is long. I mean, that is an evergreen statement. Marissa Tomei has been like elite levels of hot for like 30 years at this point. It will never go away. Yeah, it's a very fair statement. 20 years from now, that generation will talk about her like we do about Helen Mirren. Like, (laughs) oh man, she's like 70, still hot as hell. People will interview us so that they'll know what it was like to be alive when Marissa Tomei was actually the age that she looks, that she's always looked. (laughs) The Del Fuegos back at the bar, a a smoldering mess, begin mapping out their attack. Uh, In no uncertain terms, Ray Liotta wants to find them and kill them. Uh, In Madrid, though, you know, when in Rome, or in this case, when in Madrid, enjoy the local sights. Do as the Madridians do. There's a chili cook-off. There's a carnival. They got Kyle Gass singing for like 12 hours. (laughs) It's this whole... I mean, we don't see his breaks, but I'm assuming at some point... He goes to the bathroom, has some chili. God, yeah, and his conditioning's out, like, off the chain. It's a hot summer day there, and he's pre- performing all day and just never gets blown up. God bless him. It's a chili cook-off. I mean, this bleeds over into real talk, but it really significantly had me craving a hot bowl of chili. I can't watch, you know, a carnival atmosphere like that, and especially a chili cook-off without Jones in a bit myself. Uh, William H. Macy pulls the homer uh, in that he... In an act of bravado, tries to show off and eating a, a bowl of hot chili that's provided to him by Marissa Tomei. Don't lie, you would do the same. Fuck yeah, especially the way she's approaching him, like with that cowboy hat and those glasses kind of sliding down her nose, and she's got that beer, and like, hmm, I was hoping you'd try mine. It could be a bowl of razor blades, and I'd be like, yep, let's do it. It's almost irresponsible. For Marissa to how hot to, she is, yeah, it's like she was hot enough before she put on all the all the add-ons. Oh God, yeah, that mm, southwestern look, <laughs> that southwestern chic that was really hot for a brief period in the mid two thousands of like the bedazzled jeans. I mean, I don't I think people in uh, counties where those looks are still prevalent would listen to our podcast, but just in case, not putting it down if you still wear that, but there was that brief period where that stuff was really hot, and Marissa Tomei nails it to a T here. You know, we talked about the American Chopper cameo dating this movie, potentially. This dates it, too, in a good way, though. You point to that and say, bring that shit back, man. That's what American Chopper should do. They should say, look, Marissa Tomei looks good there. We Let's bring that back, and then bring us back, too. 
carnival keeps going. You know, it's it's a classic road trip movie trope here. We're just having fun on a uh, an unlikely small town somewhere. The local law enforcement, which is um, an older sheriff and a set of twin brothers, the deputies, don't carry firearms. And I don't even remember how the conversation comes up, but they explain what we do to have fun here as we slap the bull. Yeah. Uh, do you think that uh, the twin deputies, do you think that they're real twins or is this CGI? Like Army Hammer style? Yeah. Uh, I could see either way. I mean, this is the kind of movie where it could go either way because it's so good. That and with that $60 million budget, you know, uh, it's certainly not going to the soundtrack. So they originally had only one deputy, but then they realized they still had about $10 million to spare. So it's like, mm -hmm. ah, just, let's just create a new one, <laughs> a duplicate out of thin air. We'll figure this out. So, you know, you've heard of your one your one horse towns. This is a one bull town. There's a, a big bull ring. And basically what they do is they not to really fuck with it, but just to see if they can pull it off. The thing is you walk up behind the bull undetected and slap its ass just to see, you know, if you're one with the universe. As you know, you would imagine eventually this goes awry. The bull tackles a few of them. But in the end, even though they've been gored and sent flying, I think this instills a, a sense of adventure and youth back into them. It's a pretty exciting sequence uh, because I really I didn't know where the movie was going to go as far as who was going to get hit. I mean, we knew that somebody was going to get hit by the bull, at least one person. And we didn't know if they were going to survive or at least be in shape to be around for the rest of the movie. And so Travolta goes first, and then he makes it out fine. And then Tim Allen goes next, and it's just when he's already halfway through the the yard to to hit the bull, that's when one of the deputies casually mentions that nobody's ever done it twice in a row because <laughs> the second time the bull is already aware of it. This entire thing, I was on the edge of my seat. It was like the the sequence in Munich with the phone ringing and you just don't know if somebody's going to pick up and, and the apartment is going to mm -hmm. blow up. Same thing. It's amazing. Later that night at the carnival, or I guess it's a course of a weekend because this bull thing was during the day. I don't know. No, Count Glass is still singing. They might have returned. You're right. You're right. Dudley works up the courage to dance with Maggie. There's a few missteps in it, but it is a really cute scene. Well, he gets some awesome training from Travolta. Yeah, that was always. It's kind of a it's kind of a cheap trick at this point, but you, you got to get Travolta dancing, right? It will automatically add a whole star to your movie rating. <laughs> so William H Macy and Marissa Tomei, uh, never can tell by Chuck Berry, starts playing as they <laughs> twist. <laughs> the Del Fuegos again are plotting out the murder. Two of the, I, I guess they're Leota's henchmen, show up and they see, you know, what's going on. They report back, hey, we found them. They're in Madrid. He tells them, all right, just kind of keep an eye out, but don't touch them. I, I want to kill them. Uh, Martin Lawrence sees them and still thinking that the lawyer speech was something that actually happened, goes up and just kind of worsens the situation by just talking copious amounts of shit and even is going as far as to grab a ketchup and mustard dispenser and just completely uh, dress down literally the henchmen of this biker gang. I feel like after watching this, this scene, I feel like I know now what Martin Lawrence sounds like when he's having an orgasm because he's grunting and... Just screaming, hollering, as they say, as he's uh, squeezing these bottles and just sort of ejaculating ketchup and mustard all over these two bikers. You know what he sounds like when his wild hog <laughs> exhausts. Exhausts. <laughs> when he exhausts his wild hog. 
But yeah, I mean, I love ketchup and I love mustard on the, you know, as a good condiment. But man, just seeing that much of it on a person made my stomach turn. And I can only imagine what it would be like to be in that situation of just anger and embarrassment. But they remind each other, don't do it or Ray Liotta will be really mad. What's his character's name? Ray. Is it? No. (laughs) Mr. Fuego. Yar. Is it? Jack. (laughs) That was disappointing. It's a night of celebration. It's a night of fun at the bar. Uh, Tim Allen calls back home. Doug lets his wife know what the situation is. Unbeknownst to him at this point, or uh, he becomes aware during the course of the conversation that uh, Bobby, Martin Lawrence's wife, is at uh, his home. And his wife lets it slip that they're on a road trip and we get like a reaction shot. She's eating like cereal or something. And it's just short of a spit take of her disgust and road trip. The promise of an angry black woman (laughs) coming down the road to get these guys is it's pretty exciting. It's enough to definitely hold you in for the third act. Um, Was it the next day where we were talking about how fucking dumb the because my note just says Maggie loves Dudley. and I'm trying to figure out where this. No, it's the end of that night. William H. Macy steps out to, I guess, catch his breath, and she follows him out, and it's just all over him. That's right. Yeah. Julio and I were talking about, you know... The movie pushes the suspension of disbelief a little bit too much, but it has good intentions. But also, it goes out of its way to make sure that, you know, common logic would be that you saddle the two hottest tamales with one another, and that being Marissa Tomei and John Travolta. You don't usually think of William H. Macy in a sexual manner of any su- any sort, but this movie has the uh, it has the resources, the fortitude, <laughs> and the resources, and just the overall you know willingness to let everyone know, hey, anything's possible. I mean, they've created a situation where it's almost conceivable that somebody like Marisa Tomei would go for somebody like William H. Macy. Is at this point. We already mentioned that put a man in black leather and a and a and a hog, and he's automatically a lot more attractive than the average Joe. But now, on top of that, at this point, they're regarded as the town saviors. Mm-hmm. That adds to his sex appeal. And Travolta taught him how to dance. He did okay on the dance floor. So I can the almost odds are in buy his favor. It. Yeah, and then you know, Marisa Tomei. She, I mean, it's a small town. She must be bored of everybody there. And this guy comes in and he's unlike anything she's seen before. Confirmed. <laughs> he knows what a computer is. Yeah. <laughs> so they kiss. We fade into the night sky. The next morning, uh, the gentlemen are saddling up and getting ready to leave town when the Del Fuegos pull in. And man, there are strength in numbers. There's like 50 of them. They pull into town. Travolta says, let's hide. They take the bikes back behind a house somewhere. And this is where Travolta comes clean about what really happened. And Tim Allen has the great denial reaction or just like shock where he starts laughing. He's like, oh, so they came here to kill us. (laughs) So everyone knows what the score is. Everyone knows what's going on. And then we get, uh, I hope this was the climax of the trailer where Ray Liotta walks into the middle of the street and goes, wild hogs. Just instantly earning his spot in the pantheon of great movie villains. <laughs> Similar to the scene in uh, Unforgiven where Clint Eastwood, just anyone that shoots at me, I'm going to burn his barn down and kill his wife. I mean, and of course, we cannot uh, skip mentioning Tom Sizemore and Natural Born Killers. Oh, absolutely. Wild hogs, I'm coming <laughs> to get you. 
just strangling a prostitute, looking at a picture of John Travolta and his fucking skin cap. Dudley tries to be tough. He tries to be the, the one of the group that, you know, brings the fight. I mean, he's the one in love. Or fends them off. Yeah, love will make someone do crazy things. And love for Marissa Tomei will make men kill. Once again, just like with the chili, wouldn't you have done the same thing? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I can believe. I would I would trick myself into thinking that I could take on Ray Liotta. The main thing with him is the Del Fuegos are just trashing Maggie's diner. So he wants to defend that. And he obviously wants them to get out of there. So he goes in and says, you know, if there's going to be a fight, let there be a fight. We get ELO's showdown playing in the background as he walks across the dirt road. And unfortunately, he's a lover, not a fighter, and is easily apprehended and held hostage and hung like a pinata uh, <laughs> over the street sign, the, the welcome to Madrid. That's how you signal that, that shit's got real, that, that things are serious. You, wanna, you want the audience to worry, you put William H. Macy in danger. Mm-hmm. You put any of the other three, and you'd think that they'll be okay. But but William H Macy, for all for all his uh, increased sex appeal, he's still the most fragile out of the four. We've seen the other three in danger: Bad Boys, uh, the Toy Story franchise, uh, Battlefield Earth. Uh, we're used basic. To... Let's not forget basic. Uh, that was the most yoked up John Travolta's ever been. I wasn't really ever worried about his safety in that movie. The other three come out, and Tim Allen, of all of them, just realizes it is what it is, and we're just going to have to fight our way out. So we get into a knockdown, drag-out affair. To his credit, Jack Ray Liotta says four on four. So, What he doesn't uh, say is that, well, the four on the on the side of the El Fuegos are going to keep rotating. Yes. And also that William H. Macy still has his arms tied by his side. So it's like four on three and a half. Were you surprised by Martin Lawrence's uh, talent at fighting? Out of the four of them, I mean, he seemed to be the one that knew knew what to do. Yeah, he actually had a semi-intelligent stance and threw a good uppercut. And he says, like, he golden gloves champion when he's throwing punches. So I didn't check the, the specs on that, but hey, it is what it is. They keep getting knocked down, but they're they're wild after all, and the hogs keep rising, rising hard and rising strong, and they're there to accept the fight over and over again. When the townspeople who disappeared watching this ruckus, this fracas for a while, come back and they all have like you know sticks and bindles and boards with nails coming through them and baseball bats and <laughs> it's that scene at the end of the first uh, Sam Raimi Spider Man when the people of New York start throwing. Pepsi cans at the the Green Goblin. Yes, or um, is it the second one where he stops the train? Right. Yeah. And Joey Diaz steps in the front. And he's like, "You want him? You got to go through me." <laughs> so they apparently never knew they could stand up for themselves, but the wild hogs made them realize this. It then, made them realize that uh, if four guys can stand against fifty, well, maybe two hundred can also stand against fifty. <laughs> and. Uh, the sheriff says, and we'll prove by the end of this that even a god can bleed. And then he throws the spear at Xerxes. And they unite. And before it can even turn into like a, a Pier 6 brawl, a, a knockdown drag out affair of, you know, epic proportions, uh, our big cameo of the movie appears. The cameo to end all cameos. The wild or the old wise man, as, as I should say, uh, Peter Fonda, you know. The original not, EC writer. Not who you would expect in a, a Walt Becker joint. It's it's funny because it's, on one hand, it's the most obvious cameo. 
on the other hand, it, at this point, I was expecting Dr. Cox to come in and somehow save the day. Right. Like he would be the cop with a gun. Right. It's a hell of a reveal because you start with, with the boots and then you go all the way up. So really, until the very last second, you don't know who it is. And then when you see who it is, you still take a few seconds to really make sure that that is Peter Fonda. Yeah. Well, we had to double, triple verify that. Right. We looked at each other. Is that... Peter Fonda is Damien Blade, the owner of the open road, the man who calls the shots. He tells Ray Liotta, you know, he tells Jack, leave these people alone. Uh, you burn down the bar. You've caused enough trouble already. And Ray Liotta looks around, kind of surveys the situation and says something to the effect of, you got it, Pop. <laughs> Taps him on the shoulder and Peter Fonda looks off into the distance longingly and says, <laughs> he takes after his mother. Then Peter Fonda proceeds to kind of dress down the wild hogs. He comes up and, you know, what do you guys call yourselves? Uh, I like those jackets. He says some nice things, but then he tells them, lose the watch. Yeah, he he doesn't say it out loud, but really. It's uh, Benny the Jet Rodriguez and Smalls. He's like, do you have a fireplace? Burn that hat in it. <laughs> yeah, I think that he is telling them, you know, you got a ways to go. You, uh. It's okay to want to reclaim your individuality and your masculinity, but maybe... But we take this shit seriously, so be careful whose feet you step on. Exactly. And then, of course, we have to wrap up the arc with our characters here. And Doug's wife and Bobby's wife traveled quicker than they did, to be fair, they're in a minivan, um, across the country. And they wind up in Madrid while all this is going on. Bobby's wife gets out of the car and just starts berating Bobby about how dare you do all this. And, you know, this journey has taught Bobby a lot about himself. And one of the things he's learned is he has to be true to himself. And, you know, he cuts his wife off and says, he tells her, literally, slow your roll. I'm I'm the captain now, Irish. Which is crazy because, like I said, last time we saw her, she was an angry black woman about to just destroy everything in her path. She looked like she wanted to kill him. Yeah. But she understands now that, you know, he needs control as well. Yeah. I mean, we we need to learn to live together as, as you know, these different genders, they can coexist in harmony. Regardless but of the system or the situation, a dictatorship just does not work. <laughs> uh, Doug, Tim Allen, his son is there and he's just hanging on every word about the story. And his son thinks he's cool, which is one of the things Tim Allen was really hung up on and wanting to have happen. Uh, William H. Macy and Marissa Tomei have a, a really saucy parting kiss and William H. Macy lets her know he'll be back in a week. Uh, what happens with Travolta? Nothing. Travolta, it's not like his wife comes back or 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 the lawyer forgives his debts or anything. I mean, he's still broke in. Rhetorical question. <laughs> Travolta made all this happen. That was his reward. There you go. What happened with Travolta? Yeah. Only Travolta knows. He went away. And then, like, the thing you didn't notice, you were too busy taking notes, you hear a, a jingle. And then the three of them look up and say, geez, thanks, Woody. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the fuck happened. He just kind of disappeared. Um, I think that Travolta, unlike the others, he's not tethered to anything. So, <laughs> if nothing else, the promise He of, belongs on the road. The unfulfilled promise of Wild Hogs too. It, that, that's where he goes. That's that's his reward. There you go. Is all the others have to go back either to their wives or to Marisa Tomei. 
the Travolta has no attachments to the material world One of those world roads anymore. is vastly <laughs> superior to the others. <laughs> to, yeah, they're all tethered, and the only mistress Travolta's ever respected is the open road. <laughs> and then they make it to their destination, which was somewhere on the West Coast, California somewhere, and they all oogle these white women in bikinis, and William H. Macy goes off onto the sidewalk and hits a bump or something, and then the other three run into a, a surfboard and it's funny <laughs> and then the movie's over it's really f- no it's not well we get the, the credit scene of I forget the name of the show but another thing that was hot at the moment there was home renovation show where like you know due to circumstances weather shit like that people would band together and rebuild homes for people and they do that for Ray Liotta in the bar I'm, I'm done. <laughs> well, this, but I have to say that scene has this post-credit sequence. It has maybe my favorite line in the whole movie, which is when the the guy, the host of the show, he's saying, "Yeah, you know, they lost their home, and now they have a new one with a bidet." <laughs> Fair enough. Whew. man, what what a conclusion <laughs> to the summer road trip. <laughs> yes. Uh, I almost feel like like we did Travolta wrong bringing him back for this. <laughs> We're going to have to, I don't know, do Pulp Fiction again or something <laughs> to just counterbalance this. <laughs> Let's rev these bikes and move along to Real Talk. <laughs> this is joking. You want to know the joke? The joke is suburban assholes who buy leather outfits who think they're bikers. And it's a joke that I'm damn sick of. You want to know who a real biker is? Damien Blade. He founded the Del Fuegos and he built this bar for real bikers. Not this. Hey, we have a right to be You don't have any right. Shut up. I knew you assholes the minute I laid eyes on you. Look at the four of you. You don't, you don't know us. You don't think I know you? Well, you're probably uh, a podiatrist or, or a ear, nose, and throat specialist. I wish. Orthodontist? Oh, close enough. And you, Bobby, guaranteed you're henpecked, right? Your wife wears the pants. You know my wife? And you, you anal retentive wimp, guarantee you bag your own shit. Wow, you're good. What color am I thinking of? Shut up! And you're the biggest poser of them all. Aren't you squinty? Go home. Just go home. Go home, you couldn't handle this freedom anyhow. Get out of here. All right, we are recording Real Talk for Wild Hogs. I really... I would like to apologize. Screwed the pooch on <laughs> the road trip being ending on a rotten movie. Because, man, we... Well, even comparatively speaking, even the rotten shit we've watched so far, I really fucked up by having wild hogs and the summer road trip. <laughs> I mean, we could have ended on the guilt trip. We could have ended Crossroads. on Crossroads. But it was you were tricked by the Travolta factor. It's true. When the movie ended, uh, Julio informed me that Crossroads uh, is also 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I expressed that... Uh, I would much rather watch Crossroads again than Wild Hogs, and he said 100%. And then I added, the, the addendum was that maybe Marissa Tomei featured in Wild Hogs as much as Britney Spears features in Crossroads, I would give Wild Hogs a second chance. Um, I wouldn't pay attention to it fully, but I would have it in the background. That second chance looks unlikely. The Wild Hogs with Tim Allen in top billing, which I still blows my mind. 
he has the arc. I was thinking about it as we were watching the movie. <laughs> that, John Travolta's in it. Right. But Travolta doesn't... Who, who's our hero? Who's the one that has the the real midlife crisis in depth? Yeah, I guess to your point, you're right. It's just, it's still really weird. Like the poster. Also, is, his last name starts with A. Well, the poster goes Tim Allen, John Travolta, Martin Lawrence, William H. Macy. Well, between Travolta and Allen, <laughs> alphabetically. Released on March 2nd, 2007. Uh, budget of $60 million. How is only because of the star power involved. Box office return, of course, of over two hundred and fifty million, because people are a person is smart. People are dumb, in the immortal <laughs> words of Tommy Lee Jones and Men in Black. Jokes on us, though, because we watched this so we could talk about it for two hours, <laughs> so we could warn all of you. Would you recommend this movie to anyone, Alex? No. I know we're skipping way no. ahead to just ratings, but uh, and also just to get it out of the way, because this is the first time in several, several episodes that this question came to mind. But is it worse than mm. Christmas with the Cranks and or Jilly? Jilly dethroned Christmas with the Cranks as the worst movie we've done on the show. No, because there was a couple parts in this where I genuinely laughed. William H. Macy was... He had, he had very few... Moments of genuine comedy, but still, I took away a moment of actual joy from this that I cannot say the same for Geely or Christmas with the Cranks. So it's now in the the doldrums. It's in the lower tier, but it's not as bad as the absolute bottom of the barrel. The specifically the part where they're getting ready for the road trip and the three of them like being all cocky and confident they throw their phones or their gps and he wants to be cool too so he just chucks it and it breaks a window on a car somewhere that that's funny um aside from that's where the laughs begin and end (laughs) uh and then marissa tomei's super hot not to take anything away from jennifer lopez but marissa (laughs) tomei in that mid-2000s cowboy chic does it for me way more than jennifer lopez saying it's turkey time yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. That's like the worst part of the movie. Too. <laughs> gobble, gobble. Uh, there is... Marissa Tomei doesn't get anything to do here, and yet she's probably the most memorable part of the movie. Yep. I mean, that's not us objectifying uh, a female actor, an actress. It's just that that's what the movie does. Really, she's there to be... A hot woman that falls for William H. Macy. Well, she's hot as hell, but also it's like, oh, a star is here. Like, when you see her, right. it's like, yeah. And, and you know, uh, I think also because I haven't seen her in too much just trash, and I'm used to seeing the rest of this in it, that it's like, oh, hey, Marissa Tomei's here. This is cool. Maybe this things is, will pick up yeah, now, this that the, we're in town. It's a beacon of hope right now. Walt Becker, the director, as I mentioned, had uh, previously done Van Wilder, which I remember in college that was like a big – people were like, oh, Van Wilder. And I'm like, no. <laughs> uh, Wild Hogs, <laughs> Old Dogs, which just jumping on the grenade now, there was going to be a Wild Hogs 2 entitled Wild Hogs Bachelor Ride. Uh, but due to the commercial and critical failure of Old Dogs. So Old Dogs is Travolta and Robin Williams. Correct. That movie looked terrible. It made almost a hundred million, but still, by Disney standards, that's you gots to go. Uh, and then he directed Zookeeper, and then Alvin and the Chipmunks: The Road Chip. So he's got something. He's got an affinity for these road trip movies. 
uh, written by Brad Copeland, as I mentioned in the first portion. Could not find anything else he had really written. Again, released March 2nd of 2007. So 14% means that most people are intelligent, respectable human beings. Uh, most people that reviewed this, I should say. Uh, but there are 14% that apparently look for different things in life than I do. And what were they saying about this? A uh, handful of just a, a handful of red tomatoes, um, starting with Kit Bowen from Hollywood.com, who says, Becker is handy with a camera and totally knows where the film's bread is buttered, focusing all his energy and attention on his four stars. Okay. Is that is that where the bread is buttered? The four no, stars? Because continue. <laughs> we'll we'll get into it. Uh Ross Anthony from Hollywood Report Card. The previews for this silly little film looked horrid, but it broke Disney box office records for March. So I saw it with my folks and heck if we all didn't have a good time. Heck. <laughs> so at first he was smart. He saw that the trailer sucked, and he's like, I'm sitting this one out. And then he was just allured by the box office results. I guess. It's this kind of shit happens. I, I always assume that it's like who cares about box office numbers unless unless you work for the studio, but granted I don't watch television like I used to, who does? You know, Netflix and everything. But you remember that era, it would have been this would have been like the death rattle of that before the internet really picked up like YouTube and shit. Do you remember when they do the TV spots for movies? The number one movie in America right. is And now it's just uh Certified fresh and run tomatoes. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Not you, Julio, the system. Uh, finally, Michael A. Smith from Nolan's Pop Culture Review says, A film you'll want to see twice to catch all of the punchlines. What? <laughs> I can't even finish. It. Oh, my God. Uh, Wild Hogs is a great ride down the comedy highway. <laughs> That's something you say about a movie like walk hard or like what, what's an all-time classic comedy caddyshack or something like that jesus christ how would you why would you want to watch this twice i mean it's like it's not like the jokes are coming at you fast and furious they're oh no they're yeah they take their time they wait for it's this like you have not a, laugh a track. tina fey written affair where it's just like non-stop in your face so it's fitting that we did Almost Famous last night, and sequentially this will come after Almost Famous. Yes. So um, one of the things we talked about in that episode is that a lot of the material plays to the that's how it was then type thing, but the movie doesn't really need to address that or beat you over the head with it. It just – this is how the story's presented. We talk about with movies and comedies and especially right now with our ultra PC culture and the canceled culture and all this stuff. Oh, it used to be okay to say, you know, these types of things. Uh, and it really never was. This movie has so many moments of that where even if it was okay to say that then or be that way or be ragingly homophobic, it's still lazy and not funny the way you do it here. Right. So I understand there was a higher acceptance per se of uh, joking around about someone being gay in a movie or something like that. Cause sometimes that can yield humorous results, just like anything else, someone being straight or someone hooking up with someone way hotter than them, that type of thing. But this specifically, 
the thing that really bothered me was just how fucking lazy that scene is with Dr. Cox. He's, it's and, an embarrassment. I told you. I turned to you. I was like, okay, just all-time low for John McKinley. Yeah. For his, just, I think he's really funny generally. And when he shows yeah, up in a movie. Dr. Cox is awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's generally his – he always – at least I think of him as somebody who shows up in a movie just for like a couple scenes and really punches up the comedy. And this was the complete opposite. It was just – it cratered when he shows up to be the gay cop. Yeah, not just the super gay cop that just I don't know. It's not even that he's a stereotype. It's more like he's a cartoon. Yeah, he, he a stereotype would be like there's something grounded in reality. This is it's basically like an extreme traditionalist cartoon caricature of what a gay person is, right? Or a gay man, I should say. Uh, yeah, I don't know why it stuck with me so heavily, but I I remember getting like almost angry watching that. I was like. You know, it's not like a oh man, they I can't believe they got away with that. It's like this is just bad. This is lazy. Yeah, and see, I will, I will. I, will I wasn't, I wasn't really offended from a humanistic standpoint. More is just like I was so appalled that this was accepted as something that could be written and presented in a movie that made two hundred fifty million dollars. Uh, yeah, and I'll cop to, and I've, I think I'm pretty sure I mentioned it before on the podcast. I I like the the uh, three's company sort of humor where of the misunderstandings and whatever. Oh, and, yeah, you know, yeah. every other episode of Three's Company, there was some sort of double entendre kind of joke where uh, the the landlord assumed that uh, John Ritter was saying something that had to do with him being gay yeah. and and so on, right? But the difference is that you can do that in a clever way. And, oh, yeah. and, and here, I, I chuckled when they're just talking about, you know, how their their butts hurt because they've been writing that thing for so long. That is... Like, I don't it, find starts, that it starts kind of like chuckle-inducing, but then it keeps going and going and going. Right, and then by the time that John McKingley is like, hey... I'm into this. It's just, come on, man. Yeah. It, it, you should all know better by now. And yeah, it's not even about being PC. It's just about being funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, like I said, I'm way more offended as someone who enjoys movies than just like a person that believes in equal rights per se. Uh, and then on top of that too, the Martin Lawrence thing, it's not even me coming from a place being appalled, you know, just repeating what I just said as like a person. It's just like, how lazy of a script could you write? Cause Martin Lawrence's whole character is just a massive racial stereotype of like, because he, he's the black man whose wife talks down to him. His daughters don't respect him and his mother-in-law is living with them and just, you know, borderline. Mm, I don't know what you're doing. That type of shit. It's all he's missing. It's just like the bucket of hot wings or whatever. Yeah. It, it was really, really ridiculous. And again, there are movies that have all these tropes that somehow can pull it off and still be funny. This movie's just not funny. Yeah, and see, to me, the 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 thing that had potential and that you could have a, a better script would have really exploited was something I actually referenced in Concerns Corner, which is the sort of harmless crush that William H Macy seems to have on John Travolta. That kind of stuff to me was funnier because it was more underplayed and. Uh, and then it's kind of dropped completely. When, uh, uh, Michael and Ryan on The Office is a good right, example. Right, exactly. Yeah. Or even like Zach Galifianakis and Bradley Cooper in the in the Hangover trilogy. Yeah. There's a sort of like hero worship that kind of like toes the line at being maybe like a little sexual. In the first Anchorman too, Dave Koechner and uh, Ron Burgundy. He has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been so long, but yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I guess the 
not to cut you off, but the point I'm making is like, this is exactly the thing we talk about of it may not on the surface be that bad, but when you have time to think about it and can so easily point to examples of where it works better, it just really sticks out as like bad. Yeah. And I think lazy. I think that maybe like a good experiment for, for screenwriters, filmmakers, whatever to do is like, if you're, if your joke is just that, oh, haha, like he's gay, you know, if that's the punchline, then, then that's not good. No. You know, it's like, can you like swap the, the sexual orientation and still think it's funny? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's the thing. Like, it, would it be the same if it was like four gay men and I guess, and a straight guy shows up or a straight female cop shows up mm-hmm. and then wants to have sex with them? How is that funny? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work. Right. But again, it toes the line and goes to, uh, I don't know if one of those reviews says knows its audience, but. There was one. It's almost like you saw like the other things I had on my phone that I didn't pick because there was a, there was one that literally says like, uh, it knows that it's aimed at like the uh, mid-level. Lowest common denominator. No, actually it said mid-level Republican audience, which oh, was like, holy shit. That's that not one, wrong. I mean. You are more likely to find the gays funny if you think that you're going to hell for liking another man. Yeah. And uh, it, it it's Paul Blart levels of just lowest common denominator, low, like comedy. Like it's. Um, I think this is worse than Paul Blart. Maybe. Maybe I'm going, I'm going soft on Blart because it's been so long. I'm not. I, I'm just. It, that's the only Happy Madison movie we've done. So that that Happy Madison to me is the like the. Every bad comedy. The ocean floor of. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> lowest expectation. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. There's like the um, the silt on the ocean floor. That's Happy Madison. And then when you get to the actual bottom where it's like solid, that is the uh, parody movie genre. Like disaster movie, epic movie. We'll never do them because there's no way of no, those, spinning. Those that. are lower than whale manure, as Jim <laughs> Ross would say. So – all that to say that, yeah, the Wild Hogs level of comedy is very low. But that being said, it made $250 million. And I bet that mid-level Republican audience, the white people that went out in droves to saw see this, were just slapping their knee, laughing heftily at it. It was – but man, it's – I mean, I mean yeah, okay, put aside the homophobia. What else is here that, that that's meant to be funny and it just didn't work? Martin Lawrence being a loud, obnoxious black man in a white community – but you know, there's there's an audience that goes like, I know, <laughs> <laughs> I feel you there, pal. Uh, whatever the fuck John Travolta was doing in this movie, dude, it was puzzling, perplexingly. So it just at first I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I thought that there was a method to the madness. I thought I recognized a couple of just. Moments of brilliance that we've seen Travolta have during the summer of Travolta. Like, I want to know what version of the script he read that, like, motivated <laughs> him to play his character like he does. He He's just – and it's not just that he's hamming it up, but he's just not even – He's erratic. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, it really is not just, like, the character is on drugs, which he isn't, but more like the actor himself was on drugs. <laughs> Yeah, at one point during the movie, I just said, what the fuck is he doing? Completely, like, not non-contextualized, and Julio just goes, Travolta, I know. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it feels like he forgot how to play comedy. That's what it is. You know what I mean? Like, there's no structure. There's no setup and punchline, and I'm going to, you know, 
there is there is an art to being a comedian, and tr- we've seen Trouble to be funny so many times a year. There's that scene where he's squinting at uh, at at Ray Liotta. There's no preface to that at all, and right? It- and I thought, okay, maybe they're they're referencing. Uh, uh, Get shorty, be cool, the whole thing where he's just look at me, you yeah. know, whatever. But it doesn't even go there. It's just, oh, he's squinting and, and they just kind of let it lay there. And there's, I mean, that's on Travolta because the performance is just weird. And then also on the director who just doesn't know how to structure a comedic scene. And there, there was just no wrangling in of anything here. It's so just milk toast. And it was, you know, the soundtrack, if we can move into like the, <laughs> There's a lot of bangers in this movie, but they're used in that, like, groan-inducing, eye-rolling way. Highway to Hell by ACDC. Song fucks, man. It's a great tune. But they're playing it when they're, like, getting away from, like, the the burning wreckage. And, um, you know, the only thing, honestly, that was missing here was Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. Where someone, you know, I've told you my thing about that. The most misunderstood song of all time. Yep. But this is the type of movie that would think it's proper to use that as they're like riding off into the sunset with their. Oh, they would have played when uh, Peter Fonda shows up. Yes, yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, that, that getting ahead of myself there. But everything about it is just middle of the road. Let's appeal. Let's cast the widest net we can, type of thing. Which that's fine. That works for a lot of things. And there's ways to make a movie where you do that. Marvel franchise cast the widest net you possibly can, but you don't have to. I've never really watched one of those movies and then walked away from it thinking that the person that made it thought I was stupid. Right. And, you were being underestimated as a member of an audience. Yeah. And I know I realize that can sound really pretentious, but I don't really care when it comes to wild hogs. <laughs> I watched that movie. And I thought everyone that made this movie thought I'm fucking stupid. And so I am going to do what I can to deter anyone else from ever watching this again. I... I so uh not Marissa Tomei though she's flawless. Two uh well two weeks ago now whenever the new uh Spider-Man movie came out Nick from the Epic Film Guys was pretty mad about how just middle of the road it was how average it is I mean obviously I don't even have to tell you it's a thousand times better than Wild Hogs <laughs> but <laughs> but his thing was he he was just telling people it was like Marvel knows you're gonna come watch these movies so they don't even try anymore. I disagree with him. I think the movie's actually pretty good and it's a good change of pace from what they've done before. I think you needed a palate cleanser. But what he kept saying was demand better, don't just settle. And I think that this I feel appro- that it's more appropriate to something like this where yes. where yeah maybe the people making this movie they know that there's an audience that will show up to this and that audience. Could ask for better. Grown Ups yeah. is another. It, this is this is the exact same thing as Grown Ups. Yep, having seen both Grown Ups, yes, I haven't seen Old Dogs, but wouldn't it be nice to think that maybe the reason Old Dogs wasn't a smash hit or at least it didn't make as much money as they thought it was going to make is because maybe the audience demanded better, <laughs> and that saved us from Wild Hogs too. Yeah, and, and you know, kind of speaking on that, the the Marvel thing is much you know griping and lamenting and bitching as I do about the Marvel thing here on the podcast and on various social media. I've never really, with the exception of age of Ultron really felt like they were just farting things out and just here, take this. And that's one of the things I give them credit for. They're clearly consistently making good products. My thing is, I just don't care. I'm burnt out on it, but that, that is not when I say that that's not the same thing as me putting down a movie like this, that clearly was just 
let's get around and jack off for 40 days and ride motorcycles for a while. And yeah. And the thing is, you know, that everybody involved, at least, at least in front of the camera, they've, they've done better stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, even the, there is something, I think that is something that made it easy in Contrarian's Corner to talk about, because at first I was watching, I was like, what the hell am I going to say about this movie? <laughs> but then there is something, there is a story to be told about the modern day man feeling emasculated by just technology and by just society in general and wanting to maybe misguidedly find a different place in, in the world. And all. you can make a movie out of that. You can make a comedy out of that. It, there is just the briefest flashes of that notion here in some moments when, when, which is a very interesting thing to explore, right? It, it, yeah, it, and you have the characters. Even if it just let's forget that, the, let's look past how stereotypical the Martin Lawrence character is. But there is a journey that you can have that character take where he's just sailed in life and he's not happy. He's not happy in his marriage, his job, and whatever. And then he goes out and has an adventure that hurts him a lot, but also makes him just regain his confidence. Mm -hmm. And you can do that for every single character there. Yeah, that was another thing, too. Like, I, I you know, I'm internal, a hopeless romantic. I, I try to be an optimist when it comes to a lot of things, too. But, like, I kept thinking someone was going to tie it around in the end, but then his wife shows up and starts yelling, and he's, and he's slow your roll. And then, like, everything's just resolved with them. That's all it took. He didn't yeah. really need to go on the Wild Hogs adventure. All he needed was he, all he needed, needed was raise his voice. He needed to listen to Motley Crue for a few hours to psych <laughs> him up and then just go in there and, hey, shut up. Uh, yeah, you're exactly right. I think that is, especially movies like this, uh, with proven people that are capable of incredible things. Like, Bad Boys is awesome. Like, Martin Lawrence, I'm not going to say, is, you know, uh, Lawrence Olivier or Daniel Day-Lewis <laughs> or Denzel or, you know, an actor of that level. But at the same time, I've seen him do things I really enjoy. And I think Bad Boys is great. And I think he's capable of great comedic things, obviously, from that perspective. He has one good moment here. What's that? When he gets punched. The first time he gets punched and he just kind of like turns towards the camera and his eyes are wide open and his his face is frozen. Oh, yeah. That made me chuckle. And then... It's almost as if the movie knew that that was, like, a good thing. Because they, they do it again. They do it again, yeah. and then it's not funny anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, restraint is not something <laughs> that Wild Hog specializes in. I mean, Travolta, for fuck's sakes. We had a whole summer talking about <laughs> how endlessly talented this guy is. Tim Allen, uh, Home Improvement was funny. Santa Claus, great movie. And William H. Macy, obviously, you know, uh, almost an underrated actor. Yeah. How capable he is. So that's kind of what makes movies like this even... You know, I said this is like Grown Ups, and I think I probably I might even be more offended by this than Grown Ups because with Grown Ups, it's like eh, it's the expectation it's was Adam lower. Sandler and David Spade and Kevin um, James. With this, yeah, I see these guys, and I'm just like, what the fuck are you doing, you guys? Um, why would you agree to this? Why would you say yes? Have you ever found Ray Liotta funny in a movie? Because I we, think he's a great I, actor, but I've never. Good, I was going to forget completely about Ray Liotta, and you brought him up. Yeah, so. <laughs> That's where we are. Um, no, and it's, even even in Observe and Report, I mean, he's not the. He has lines in Observe and Report that are very funny, uh, but that's just because of the tone of the movie. Right. He he delivers them like gangster Ray Liotta, right? Which is he usually plays somebody that's humorless. Yeah, and and that's the point. He he's Ray Liotta like classic in that and. 
that fits in with the comedic tone of the movie. Uh, Muppets, uh, Most Wanted. He, I mean, oh, he's in the, yeah. the what is it, the, the Russian prison? Yeah, right? yeah. It, it, but he's so he's a non-factor. It's just kind of funny. He's like in the background dancing, and with, uh, that's uh, like the novel- yeah, and, yeah, that's the novelty of it. But to your point, like in this, n- no. Uh, I mean, I don't know that the character was written to be funny to begin with. And, and if anything, they just cast Ray Liotta more because of the menace that he brings. He, he does have that. I mean, I, I think that uh, him and Marissa Tomei come out looking the best. They're not funny at all, but at least they, they play their type. They play to their types and they're not – it's not embarrassing. Man, I really did Ray Liotta being given that wild hogs. <laughs> I was like, oh, boy. But the comparison to Gary Sinise in uh, – uh, Ranger games. Yeah, I mean, when he gives his speech. I was speech, bummed you got onto that before I did. <laughs> his speech, where he just basically tells them off for being posers. Yeah. That is the that is the Garcini speech from uh, Ranger games, mm-hmm. where, where you're like, man, this guy's taking this seriously. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, I'd much rather watch that and like Marissa Tomei, like, well, this might be shit, but I'm not going to hang my hat on a performance that I'm bad in. Mm-hmm. versus just Travolta coked out of his mind <laughs> and Tim Allen, you know, just fundraising for John Kerry's presidential campaign at that point. <laughs> it would have been John Kerry. Who would have been um, Mitt Romney? Oh, I, I thought... Uh, John McCain? It would have been McCain. It would have been McCain. You're right. Yeah, because uh, this was 07, because McCain-Palin was 08. This is the contrarians present <laughs> presidential election 2008. Yeah. Back in the golden days of American politics. I think, too, we made a colossal error in judgment watching this the night after Almost Famous. And <laughs> and the Muppets. Oh, God. Yeah. We really screwed ourselves on this one. But, you know, we this we do it for y'all. Yeah. And someone has to do this, and we're happy to and proud to do this work for y'all. Uh, yeah, but watching it after all that, it really – it made it so quick and so easy to just be like, nope, 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 nope. Yeah. So as a road movie, as a road trip movie. So as a road trip movie, as much as I uh, bitched about and really personally disliked the use of the songs and how just silly they were meshed up with what was going on on the screen – Great soundtrack. ACDC. Um, you have ELO. I'm trying to think of the movie, the song that takes us out in the end, but there's some good stuff in there. You would uh, buy the soundtrack or you, you would like I would download but, the soundtrack on Spotify. Yes, but then I would delete Slow Ride off of there because I'm, <laughs> I'm never listening to that song again. Uh, great road trip movie in the sense of consistent stops and sightseeing. That this more than any other movie we covered so far had the the stop. We camped. We uh, we had a swimming hole gas station. We had a gas station. We tried to get some local culture at the bar. Unfortunately, got us into some <laughs> got us into a bit of a pickle. Uh, and then we found this small town that we never heard of. And we had a carnival and a chili cook off. Yeah. So no arguably, landmarks, but the chili cook off feels almost like a landmark. So, in a sense, Wild Hogs was the perfect conclusion in that it was the worst movie we watched, but the best road trip movie we watched. <laughs> I think the one thing that I would, what knocks off points in the road trip meter is that 
halfway through, it stops being a road movie. This is a very valid point. Um, what mean, makes a perfect road trip movie is you have to complete the, the voyage. Right. And with this, we start and we get really good into the voyage and then they just kind of get to this town and then they're like, eh, we'll hunker down here until the last 30 seconds of the movie. I don't blame anyone for, for sticking around when Marisa Tomei is, is no shit. the bar this owner. Madrid but... town is like Silvertown and Joe Dirt or small, small town USA and the Muppets we were talking about earlier. So... It succeeds on the level of being a road trip movie. I'll give it. I'll give it praise for that. Even to the beginning, when Travolta says, "We're going on a road trip." Oh my god! So, did you notice too when Travolta got in an argument with that little kid at the beginning of the movie? How he put his fingers in his ears and walked away. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just. I mean, he made choices. I love him. That's why, like, I mean, maybe not as a person, but as an actor, I love John Travolta, and I want. Saturday Night Fever, every time I see him. I want Pulp Fiction every time I see him. But hey, if you know, I guarantee if we talk to those four guys, I don't know their family situations at the time, uh, but uh, you hear so often, I just wanted to make something my kids can watch, that type of thing. And even though... Okay, but even then, if you, that's questionable. I mean... Well, you cut me off. I was going to say, I'm sure that's the excuse they would give. I'm sure they wouldn't... Maybe they would just be like, uh, they paid me well. But yeah, even if it was that, you would probably demand more and actually have a funny movie as opposed to... Yeah, if 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 the reason you make Wild Hogs is because you want your kids to watch it, then fuck, dude, try harder. <laughs> this, this is just not good enough. If the reason you make Wild Hogs is because they offer you a good check, okay, I understand. You have to put your kids through college. That's 100% valid. Only people that have been honest about that that I can think of off the top of my head are Adam Sandler and Gary Oldman. The Gary Oldman interview with Playboy. Do you remember that? The one that just he immediately had to apologize for. Uh, Yeah, and that's... Again, we, we come back to this every time I do in particular. John Travolta has more money than I can even imagine what it looks like. Uh, At the same time, with the whole premise of us talking about this yeah we need to call out shit like this and when movies like this do so well it's just increasingly makes more and more dribble like this but fortunately this kind of got corrected pretty quickly um old dogs didn't really set the world on fire someone i i read earlier i can't remember exactly what the quote was but they compared compared it to rv in terms of just absolute laziness and bottom of the barrel i may need to revisit rv because i remember hating it hating it period i was gonna say hating it anywhere near as much as this one but yeah hate's I, a very I, strong word with um i almost called it straw dogs wild <laughs> hogs uh i'm never going to i never plan on watching it again and if anyone asks me if they should watch it i will definitely say no but i reserve hate for things that are really deserving of it rv i might have said it on the podcast before i watched it twice i screened it and then I brought my girlfriend to watch it <laughs> at the time. Wow. I know. I was like, it's harmless. You do love Kristen Chenoweth. I mean, I don't. I, yeah. Not in movies. I love her on stage. And then in movies, I can appreciate. I have a soft spot for, for her brand of performance. Jeff Daniels is in it. She's one of those that kind of, I, I can't, obviously, I don't know who it is with me, but 
people like in our circle always have that one actor or actress that they when they come up like oh yeah and then they may subconsciously <laughs> not realize how much they talk about her but or them i should say uh so wild hogs rounding this up i don't want it to just all be negative because we myself personally i had a lot of fun doing these road trip movies I oh, okay i it, thought you were gonna say i had a lot of fun with this movie no, after no, 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 everything no. i've said no fuck wild hogs uh letter grade f yeah uh one star Dude, really, it's uh, with the homophobic jokes. I think I should knock it to like half a star. Because fuck them. It is uh, again sequentially. I don't know when y'all will hear this. Passengers, what we did with Jordan and the thing he kept pushing, and I agreed with him. That is a nothing movie. It, it's just it is what it is. It's here. It's no wild hogs. <laughs> this is like, I think it's because it made so much money and it thinks it's funny and it tries to act like more than it is that's an easy way to get in a trap of like fuck this movie so for those reasons it not being funny the homophobia the uh, almost overt racism of the black couple yeah an f and uh but the summer road trip was a hell of a time (laughs) and we started with the guilt trip which I took a lot away from that. I, I we talked about it when we recorded, but like um, Barbara Streisand. Just, yeah, it's the Barbara Streisand show. It is, and she comes off wonderfully in that. And then Little Miss Sunshine, one of the few movies that I've ever gotten more out of revisiting. I, like I said on the podcast, I was worried about revisiting it because I thought it maybe it wasn't as good as I remembered, but just fucking incredible. The Greg Kinnear show. The Greg Kinnear show. Uh, the Britney Spears show followed with Crossroads, <laughs> which really was that the Zoeta Saldana show. <laughs> I mean, acting wise, yes. Execution wise, it was the Britney <laughs> Spears show, which we've seen the uh, Elizabethtown effect in in play tonight. <laughs> Since then, there's been this movie. So Crossroads has risen up in the rankings just because of this. Uh, almost famous. Y'all were privy to a historic moment where I officially moved that to my top five movies of all time and then wild hogs which in the end <laughs> all i really want is a hot bowl of chili right now <laughs> even with all its flaws it awakens something a craving within you <laughs> that is gonna be it too i'm gonna get to work tomorrow and it's gonna be too hot so i'm not gonna want it then but i'm gonna get home tomorrow night and be like god i still want that bowl of chili really bad I guess I'll give it one star as, as you kept talking i've been thinking i was like a star because there is the seed of something that was important, interesting, and Ray Liotta is trying. And Marisa Tomei. Marisa Tomei could have sleepwalked through this role because all it required was for her to look hot. And again, William H. Macy is generally uh His delivery is good, except for and- except for that one moment where he has his his Oscar clip. Yeah, they overdo it towards the end, but like for the first half of the movie, he's kind of not kind of. He's absolutely the comedic relief. Yep. All right. So that concludes the Contrarian Summer Road Trip. We do appreciate y'all being passengers along the way. Uh, coming up next is episode... Episode bonus. Uh, bonus episode, aptly... That I just referenced. Uh-huh. About the movie Passengers. Inception style. Yep. Uh, yeah, we recorded that one... Uh, Last week. Last week, so it was in between Crossroads and It'll Almost Famous. It'll be like famous. a month and a half from when you actually hear it. <laughs> yes. It's, uh, and I don't think – I don't know if we mentioned it at the time, but really the, what happened was – Trump Jordan, was president when we recorded it. <laughs> yes. The United States of America still, still had 50 states. <laughs> uh, but 
uh, Jordan and Kinsey are moving to Chicago, and mm-hmm. we wanted to record with them in person one last time, so we assigned episodes to them. So this will give us a little time because Alex is going on a trip, mm-hmm. which means that we don't want to rush the the next step on the Contrarian's journey. Yes. Episode 90 is supposed to be our gray area episode with the IMDb journey guys. Long time coming. The Keanu yeah. Reeves... The callback. The, the callback. Devil's Advocate. That's That'll either be episode 90 or a bonus episode released around the time of episode 90, depending on how we, we handle our schedules. And then after episode 90, we just go into uh, the autumn of the remakes. Hell yeah. We've got the... We have Nightmare on Elm Street, obviously the original, and then the 2009 remake by Marcus Nispel. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. One of my top 10 movies of all time, the original 1974 Toby Hooper release, and then the 2003 also Marcus Nispel directed <laughs> vehicle for uh, Jessica Biel. He's the, the autumn of the Nispel. <laughs> we'll watch a bunch of Bush music videos because that's pretty much the only other shit he ever did. And um, it'll be uh, George Bush Sr. <laughs> and George W. Bush. I'm talking about like glue. I know, oh, okay. I know there's a band called Bush. <laughs> the look in your eye was so sincere. I was like, oh God, does he not know about Machine Head? <laughs> My brother owned Machine Head. All right. And then we will also be doing The Untouchables, fantastic French film from 2012, 2011. And The Upside. Don't know who directed it, but it features. It's the American import of it. Yeah. Uh, Brian Cranston. Kevin Hart. And Kevin Hart. And Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, I think that's those were our... Yeah. Oh, and, you know, I'll cut this out if it doesn't pan out, but I also figure we had time to do bonus episodes. If we have time to do bonus episodes, we can do the counterparts to movies that we've already done. Mm. So, uh, the original Fly and the original Walter Mitty. Yeah. Because they're both fresh, so we could just... Throw this in if we have time. Excellent. All right. So the road in front of us has been paved. Uh, in conclusion, our plugs, as always, the festive years providing our opening and closing tracks. Last stand, summer 99, thefestiveyears.com for all your needs. Uh, Hans Roth Geeser, the creator of our logo. Did yes. I pull it off again? You, you got the last name yes. right. Uh, he's on Twitter at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. Uh, and, uh, you can email him at Hotmail as well, uh, Mildemonios at Hotmail.com. Logos, comics. Uh, he has a podcast called Nacion Combi that's in Spanish. He talks about Peruvian politics, Peruvian stuff. Uh, he has another podcast in English called uh, Living in Peru, that one you find on iVox. And uh, that's about immigrants in Peru. And uh, he also has a webpage, mildemonios.pe. PE stands for Peru, where he has all the other stuff he does, his writings, and so on. So uh, check him out. Hit him up if you need logos, comics, insightful conversation. Again, all of these episodes you're going to listen to that we've recorded around this time, my internal clock is so askew. And also just we've recorded these in such quick succession that no new plugs for me. But by the next time we record, I will have just a bevy of things to mention and plug. If I recall correctly, I already burned my Muppets plug mm-hmm. in the last episode. <laughs> <Blah>. <laughs> yeah. So I I don't have a movie plug. I've been I, – I do uh, – 
especially during this time of the year, I just do a lot of work with the Austin Film Festival, and that takes up a lot of my movie watching time. Um, but I've—I uh, don't think I've ever mentioned it here in the podcast. I—I've fallen in love with Comixology Unlimited. Do you know what Comixology is? Is that app and service you can read comics on your tablet? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, and the Comixology Unlimited is basically like the Netflix version of that. Nice. You just pay a monthly fee and you have access to their entire library. Uh, much like Netflix, it doesn't mean you have access to like every comic in the world, mm-hmm. but basically there's more than you can ever read. And, uh, as a, as a comic book fan that stopped collecting comics a long time ago, basically around the time I moved to Austin, I just stopped buying just regular stuff, being subscribed to series. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff that I, heard about that i never got to read and uh so i've been kind of like catching up just like what the hell happened with spider-man the last 10 years <laughs> oh yeah all right so once more concludes the contrarian summer road trip we appreciate y'all riding along with us we will be back in due time whenever that may be <laughs> we don't know <laughs> we don't even know when's the next time we're gonna record we'll see we'll see you'll have passengers in the interim we appreciate y'all listening to The Contrarians, where we're right, you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. That's summer-